you have to love yourself and show yourself kindness and grace. Yeah. And part of what I think what it means to love yourself is to feed yourself nourishing foods and to love your body enough to aspire for it to be healthier. Welcome. I'm Alyssa Nobriga, your host of the Healing and Human Potential podcast, a place for you to discover the multidimensionality of what it means to be human. Over the past 20 years, I've trained thousands of coaches in my methodology, leveraging my experience as a former psychotherapist, and I'm here to share with you all the wisdom and insights that I've learned along the way. Each week, I'll share with you life-changing tools to support you in awakening and manifesting your dream life from the inside out. We'll be exploring the intersection between ancient wisdom and modern everyday life, really diving deep into the art of human potential through the lens of psychology, spirituality, and coaching. Let's let the magic unfold. We have the honor of having Max Lugavir on the podcast today, who is a health and science journalist, filmmaker, podcast host, and best-selling author. His first book, Genius Foods, was a New York Times bestseller, and it changed our understanding of the diet's impact on brain health. He's a respected and well-known voice in the field, having been on the Joe Rogan Experience, the Today Show, the New York Times, and in People Magazine, and I'm so excited to have him here with me today. So Max, take me back to the beginning. I would love to hear from you where and how you got started as a science and health journalist. Like what inspired you to be such a prominent voice in this field? Yeah, I mean, I never would have anticipated becoming a prominent voice. It was really something that emerged out of uh, passion for health and nutrition mm-hmm. and um, and personal tragedy, really. My, um, my mom was diagnosed with a rare form of dementia mm. really early on. Um, she was about 58. And I had not had any kind of neurodegenerative disease in my family lineage that Mm -hmm. I was familiar with at least. And so having had this lifelong passion for nutrition science and, um, and fitness and longevity, just, you know, personal interests of mine, um, that have had endured for as long as I, you know, could remember when my mom became sick, I sort of became the health Oracle in my family of sorts. And I took it upon myself to, to look into the research and, um, exploit my media credentials to start reaching out to people, mm. scientists that could provide answers. Now, I'm not a medical doctor. I didn't go through the academic channels, but my my professional, my career was as a journalist. Yeah. So when I graduated from college, I got a job working for Al Gore and I worked for him for six years as one of the more prominent journalists, producers, and hosts for a TV network that he had in the US mm. called Current TV. And so there I was a bit of a generalist, but when my mom became sick, I used those those skills that I had gleaned, like in investigative journalism skills mm-hmm. to investigate why it was that my mom became sick. Yeah. And um and so yeah, so I, as I would learn the more as I would as I would uncover new truths, I would share them on social media without any kind of intent for them to go viral or to garner a following of any kind. It was really just to help spread the word about what it was that I was um, uncovering. But I did start to realize very early on that I was fulfilling, I was not just fulfilling a need for people, that people were really interested in the things that I was posting, Yeah. but also that they were interested in what I had to say about what I was Mm -hmm. posting. Mm -hmm. And that my sharing my perspective and my insights started to, um, 
raise eyebrows among people that I actually had personally respected and looked up to medical, actual medical doctors and people with, with academic credentials. And so it kind of started to snowball and one thing led to another. I started working on a documentary project. Uh, it's a film that we're actually super excited to, um, to release soon called little empty boxes. It's a Mm -hmm. documentary about my mom and dementia and prevention and all that stuff. But then I also had the opportunities to go on the Dr. Oz show and all this like major national media talking about nutrition. Yeah. Which was like just an incredible gift to get to do. And then a book deal arose and I worked my butt off on that and mm-hmm. that ended up doing really well. And so it all kind of worked really organically. And mm-hmm. and yeah, I guess now I get to say that I'm a, a prominent voice in the field, but it really started with just, you know, it was very simple in a, in a really simplistic way. It was just a, a person trying to save his mom. Yeah. Yeah. And how beautiful that you took that to actually make a difference and do the research to support her. Was she open to hearing some of what you were finding? Yeah. I mean, the thing about dementia, and I learned this really early on, is that it begins in the brain decades often Mm -hmm. before the first symptom. Mm -hmm. And also people live the way that they want to live ultimately. And so I didn't like you know, go into my mom's life like a raging bull trying to uproot everything it was that she was eating and how she was living. And who knows if that would have even made an impact. Yeah. So it really, for me, it was about learning as much as I could so that I can arm myself mm-hmm. to live by example and mm-hmm. then to ultimately share it with anybody who might be interested. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I imagine that you discovered a lot of misconceptions around nutrition and probably have debunked them. Can you share some of what you found? Yeah. I mean, you know, we've been told for decades uh, to eat a certain way. I mean, humans are, we forget that we're animals sometimes and animals have innate an innate, innate intelligence. But, you know, 50 or so years ago, humans were provided dietary guidelines, right? For the first time in the form of the dietary guidelines for Americans. And that mm-hmm. was essentially when, you know, we ate probably... Um, in accordance with what our traditional, or at least more aligned with what our traditional diets were. Mm-hmm. But then suddenly these guidelines come out, obviously highly influenced by the food industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're starting to see the pharmaceutical industry as well. But, you know, six to 11, seven to 11 servings of grains a day was the base of the, of the USDA food permit. And the food permit has been retired at this point. Um, what it's been replaced with is arguably not that much better, but that's the kind of paradigm that I grew up with. I mean, my mom was a very health conscious woman, mm-hmm. but she wasn't a nutrition expert by any means. And mm-hmm. we didn't have the internet, you know, growing up. So my mom just ate in accordance with what the dietary kind of dogma of the day was, which was that, that food permit. Mm-hmm. If it had a red heart, healthy logo on it in the mm-hmm. grocery store, mm-hmm. chances are it passed through my kitchen at one point or another. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we, we kind of were, grew up on like processed foods, maybe the first yeah. generation. I mean, with Pop-Tarts and Bagel Bites and all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I th- think we're still figuring out how that's played an effect on our longevity and our health and well-being. A hundred percent. But you, so you have found some things that have been debunked in the nutrition field specifically. Yeah. I mean, this whole idea that fat is bad, mm-hmm. um, that fat makes us fat. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, that's totally not true. We need fat to survive and thrive. Mm. Um, and fat is not a monolith. Like there are different kinds of fats and some fats have different differing effects than others. 
So there's that. And then, but you know, like the pendulum always swings, it goes from one side to the other side. And, and then, you know, with the welcoming back of fat to the table, um, the low carb movement really has kind of seeded, I think the public sphere with a lot of misinformation as well. Um, namely that if some fat is good, more fat is better. And so you have a lot of people in the low carb community now, just like pouring coconut oil all over their food, butter in their smoothies and, and who knows what, which mm-hmm. fine, if you enjoy it, that's all good. But, um, but yeah, there, there continues, there's always going to be misinformation, I think in yeah. the nutrition sphere. And so for me, I, yeah, it's one of the things I'm very passionate about is helping people separate fact from fiction. Yeah. And how do you guide, how do you navigate that for yourself? Through research? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I love to do, I mean, I do do research in the sense that I'm constantly plugged into to PubMed and also scanning almost religiously the press releases that emerge from our universities because they always get, you know, that's kind of a good way to get a sense of what's like new, like the, mm-hmm. the latest and greatest. Mm-hmm. But then I also talk to experts. I have my own podcast called The Genius Life and I talk yeah. to, I talk to people that I really admire, not just PhDs and MDs though. I talk to people, anybody who I think is smart, intelligent, has something to offer. Cause I myself am not a PhD and a, mm-hmm. and a medical doctor. And we live in a new world where, you know, you don't, I don't, I don't believe, and this is probably controversial and people will debate this, but you don't have to have gone through those channels yeah. to be able to offer something of value yeah. in the sciences. And to come back to your own body and to listen to your body and to trust your own yeah. scientific experiment of what works for you and what doesn't, because we're all designed differently. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Science is a method. It's like, yeah. it's a method of investigation. It's not, nobody owns it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, and then my, my own personal experimentation, talking to people. And then also at this point, I've my work has reached, a, I think, a degree of critical mass where I get feedback from mm-hmm. thousands of people mm-hmm. all around the world that follow not just my books, but as my own views evolve over time, mm-hmm. they kind of integrate um, you know, my, my changing views on nutrition um, as the science continues to evolve, as my own perspective evolves. And I get real-time feedback in a way that almost like a clinician. I mean, yeah. I'm not a clinician, yep. but it's it's kind of wild. Yeah. And so what have you found with foods that specifically help brain health, optimal functioning, memory? Are there certain foods that you've discovered or what is some of the feedback that you're getting from people that you can share? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people just have fear around certain foods. Yeah. Um, this is a big problem. I think- What kind of foods? Like milk- yeah. A lot of, a yeah, lot of meat. Dairy. Yeah. yeah. And there's dairy in different products. countries, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so that matters how it's processed. Yeah. Yeah. Meat, eating a lot of meat. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a carnivore, but I think that there is a lot of misinformation out there regarding um, animal source foods. Mm-hmm. And I there's a ton of value in plant foods as well, but you don't see the pressure um, from our trusted institutions, whether it's like the government or our food industry to, uh, to shoot, to, you know, there's this push towards plant-based diets. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think if there's anything I could do, like everybody, most people, unless you're in one of these like carnivore echo chambers, most people know that fruits and vegetables are good for you. Like most people, like, I think if you probably were to take a random sampling on the street, most Mm -hmm. people would Mm -hmm. say that fruits and vegetables are, are good for you and acknowledge that. But a lot of people think that animal source products are inherently unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And your mom um, is a vegetarian, right? My mom was largely vegetarian, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that one of the one of the um, more, I think, important public 
services that I can provide is yeah. to help dispel that fear. Because I mean, these are some of our most nutrient dense foods mm-hmm. and typically an animal source food is going to be a, a vastly better option for dinner than some boxed vegan mac and Processed. cheese or what, ha- what yeah. have you, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they're actually very healthy. It's not like it's a, it's not like they're a healthier alternative. They're actually very, they can be very healthy. Mm-hmm. Grass fed, grass finished lean beef is an amazing food. Mm-hmm. Wild fatty fish, amazing foods, mm-hmm. even chicken breast. Like, you know, we live in a time of widespread obesity, widespread metabolic yeah. dysfunction. Yeah. And so these are incredible, incredibly important foods. I heard you say a statistics about Americans, how many people are obese. What was that? Yeah. So today about one in two Americans are obese. Wow. Yeah. We're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. Yeah. And I'm all about like loving the body that you're in and coming into full acceptance and gratitude for this amazing vehicle that is body and still making change to feel healthy and most optimal so that we live longer, healthier, happier. Right. So I know that you've been doing some work around um, fat and just supporting people and understanding how they can hack their bodies. Yeah. Would you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, um, <laughs> I, uh, personally went on a bit of like a fat loss journey, um, over the past couple of months where I, I wanted to see what it was like to lose, uh, which you are in no way obese at all. Yeah, no, Super I wasn't fit. obese. I wasn't obese. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of a, I'm a closet meathead. So for me, it was, uh, it was a very, it was a, <laughs> it was a bro endeavor okay. to um, shed a few body fat percentage points. Okay. It was actually purely for, it was a, it was a challenge that I wanted to, to adopt and it was kind of like an aesthetic challenge. Yeah. You know, but I learned a lot about in so doing, I mean, I, I don't just kind of jump into things mm-hmm. from a health standpoint without doing tons and tons of research. It's just not who I am. Yeah. So, you know, so I did in the process learn a lot about fat loss and, um, and so, yeah, I mean, we live in a time where people are, are really struggling with being overweight and yeah. it's like, if you have, if your biomarkers are out of whack, a lot of people now are obsessed with their blood sugar curves, um, whether it's blood sugar, blood pressure, lipids, mm-hmm. things like that. If you're overweight, I mean, the number one thing that you can do is lose weight. Mm-hmm. Like we we're not even talking about eat this, not that. It's yeah. like, you just have to lose weight. Yeah. 95% of the health benefit that you'll see will come from that weight loss. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to, and it's not just weight, you want to lose fat, obviously. You don't mm-hmm. want to lose muscle. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to losing fat, dropping the fat, I mean, I, yeah, I learned a lot. For example, the value of dietary protein. It's the most satiating macronutrient. Mm-hmm. And so if you're hungry, prioritize protein. It's almost impossible to eat too much protein because it's so self-limiting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, so I adopted a very high protein diet. It was like a, uh, I was getting one gram of protein per pound of my body weight. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, that does multiple things. One, it helps to tamper down your hunger signals. Mm -hmm. Two, it helps to maintain your lean mass when you're in a calorie deficit, which is a, you know, to lose fat, you have to be in a calorie deficit. You Mm -hmm. have to, which essentially means you have to be, you have to be burning more calories on a 24 hour period than you are ingesting. Yeah. But when you're in a calorie deficit, that's essentially what's called a catabolic state. Your body is breaking down tissue. And by optimizing the amount of protein that you're consuming, you're basically telling your body, and of course you have to resistance train as well. That's another really important part of the puzzle, but you're telling your body, we need to hold on to the muscle. Let's get rid of the fat. Mm-hmm. And so if more people knew that, I mean, I think that, that would be a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine having a fulfilling career doing what you love, working from anywhere in the world, setting your own hours while making good money and a big impact. 
If that lights you up, then I'm super excited to share with you today's sponsor, the Institute for Coaching Mastery. This is my robust accredited year-long certification program for newer seasoned coaches, therapists, leaders, and those just looking to up-level their life in a profound way. We have an amazing community of students from all around the world who have really started their journey to expand with us both personally and professionally. And this experience is designed to give you the three things that you need to thrive. So first, you have all of the tools and support you need to move past what's been holding you back so that you can completely change the trajectory of your life. And then you learn how to masterfully and confidently facilitate transformation with your clients or your team, regardless of your niche, if you want to do health, business, relationship, or you just have no idea yet, we hold your hand through that. And then lastly, you'll receive my six figure and beyond signature roadmap that's customizable to meet you wherever you are. So whether you want to do high ticket sales, online marketing, or you just want to hit six figures without ever needing to go on social media, we've got you covered. And this truly is the most rewarding work in the world. We have new students now who have a waitlist of dream clients in under a year. We also have seasoned students who are doing $80,000 months. And this is really about creating lasting transformation from the inside out so that you can share your gifts and serve the world in all the ways that you're called to. And I've seen firsthand the power of what happens when you have the community to collaborate with, but you also have the right tools and resources to really thrive. And so whether you want to do your own personal development, you're wanting to become a coach, or you're just looking for a cutting edge approach to really grow your business, the Institute for Coaching Mastery is for you. You are held every single step of the way. And so if you want to get behind the scenes access to the Institute with three proven transformational tools for free to help you create the business and life you love, all you have to do is go to alissanobriga.com forward slash tools, or you can find us at alissanobriga.com forward slash apply now to see all the details and apply today. And what do you think about intermittent fasting? Intermittent fasting is a great tool. Mm -hmm. um, it's a form of calorie restriction mm -hmm. primarily. Secondarily, there is some research showing that by eating earlier dinners, what they're calling in the literature early time-restricted feeding, that there are some, some benefits mm -hmm. like improved blood sugar regulation, blood pressure um, regulation. Next day, hunger seems to be better when we eat earlier dinners as opposed to like a late night dinner. Yeah. So there are all these benefits, but by and large, the, the most important variable is what you're eating. When you're eating matters as well, yeah. but it's sort of like, you know, if I had to kind of throw a proportion onto it, it would be like 80% what you're eating, 20% what okay. you're eating. Okay. And so you're saying higher protein yeah. and I imagine less processed. Yeah. I mean, processed foods tend to be low in protein. You know, they tend mm. to be protein dilute because mm -hmm. protein is the most expensive macro. Not only is it the most satiating, but it's the most expensive macronutrient to produce. Mm -hmm. um, so one characteristic that typifies most, if not all ultra processed junk foods like vending machine foods is that they tend to be some combination of carbs and fat. They mm -hmm. tend to be pretty low in protein. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why we tend to overconsume them because they just, they're not satiating. They mm -hmm. have that hyper palatable characteristic where they're just so delicious. They're not satiating at all. They're highly calorie dense. And so those processed foods tend to make up, I mean, they, they're at the foundation of the obesity epidemic. Yeah. Conversely, high protein foods like meat, fish, eggs, uh, legumes, you know, or soy products if you're on a, on a plant-based diet, um, like tofu and the like, um, 
all tend to be high protein and those foods tend to be the most satiating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like they're, it's like impossible to over. I mean, have you ever like overeaten chicken breast? It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. You get full and you stop. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I imagine people are hearing this and I, you know, in my line of work as a somatic, former somatic psychotherapist, I loved discovering about how people create change and why they don't. And also in my work as a coach. And so what I found is that we can know certain things, but we don't actually create the change. And so a lot of the work I've done is how the, our inner world reflects and our behaviors and choices that we make in the world. And so why I think people don't make change, because they could be hearing something like this and then not do what they know that would be healthy or right for them. And part of the work that I found is that sometimes people consciously, they say they want to lose weight, but then unconsciously they have a fear about it mm. or they, and unconsciously we, we run our lives 95% based on our unconscious. And so, for example, I had a woman come to see me and I don't usually do weight work or, or body stuff, but she wanted, she said her doctor said she was overweight and she wanted to lose weight. And she's like, I'm getting up, was thinking she needed more motivation and willpower. And my approach is change from the inside out. So you got to get out of your own way. And I was like, what do you fear would happen if you lost the weight? Mm. And she's like, Alyssa, I don't fear anything. Like, I want to lose the weight. And I said, slow down, get mindful. If you lose the weight, you fear. And she just started crying. And she was sharing with me about some sexual abuse that happened when she was younger. And she was afraid that if she lost the weight, then she would be attracted to men again. And she didn't want to be a target. So the weight was protecting her. And so sometimes this work is not about pushing harder. It's about getting out of our own way or seeing what the weight is there, how it's trying to serve us, and then taking some of this practical information into our lives. And so I think being compassionate with ourselves and asking deep questions can support us in creating those changes. But I also know that food, sometimes people are using food, myself included, I started emotionally overeating because I was doing some really deep work within myself and I was eating, you know, it's like chips or that that was my thing. It was like salty or savory. So I would go to chips and I would emotionally overeat. And I started to learn the tools to help me be with my emotions. So I wasn't going towards food to do that. And I know a lot of people can, if they don't, I mean, we don't learn how to be with our emotions in school. So of course we just model what we've seen or what's available. And there's a dopamine hit and some of this sugar and some of the other things that come up. So what I one thing that I did that was really helpful for me, I'll share with people when if anybody has an emotional overeating, is to what I did was when I wanted to emotionally overeat, I would I made myself a commitment for one month to just instead of eating, take a pause. And I took out a piece of paper and I wrote down my emotions. It's called freeform writing. And I it's at least 10 minutes of writing, but whenever it feels complete. Once I got the emotion out, rather than eating chips, because you know when I don't know if you've emotionally overeat, but it, you eat really fast. It's almost like your ego doesn't want to wake up. So you try to just Whoa. get the chips in really quickly. I don't know. It sounds like maybe it's more of a feminine thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I eat when I'm bored. Okay. Like, do that There's I'm that. Bored, yeah. yeah. No. This is a little different. This was like, I was trying to get my needs met in a different way. Wow. And so after I would journal write for a minimum of 10 minutes and I read over, I would write over one page so you don't reread it. It's like taking out the trash. It's just garbage. You rip it up don't and let it go. And then I would offer myself compassion because what I noticed was if I judged myself and I got into guilt, it would loop into more emotionally overeating. And so when I offered myself, I did this process from University of Santa Monica. I forgive myself for whatever the judgment is, the truth is. So like I forgive myself for buying into the misunderstanding that I shouldn't have eaten that. The truth is that was the best I knew how to take care of myself and I'm learning new tools now. 
And so I would do like maybe five or 10 rounds of compassion. And that helped me get out of the right, wrong dynamic of I shouldn't eat that, I should eat this. And that's what was helping, that was having me loop. And so by being compassionate helped me get my needs met. And then I made a choice that if I wanted to have the chips, it was totally fine to have the chips, but to slow down and eat it with presence. And if I did that, then I didn't make it wrong that I ate the chips and I didn't make it right if I didn't eat them because mm-hmm. that right, wrong dynamic helped me actually loop in the pattern. Wow. And that can be true for a lot of addictive patterns for people just as a hack to try out for themselves. But I have, so I want people to know that, that there's, you have such brilliant um, takeaways and hacks for people. And I also want them to know that like, if there are emotional patterns or something that's coming up for them, do the inner work and then the outer change is a lot easier to be sustainable with. Yeah. hundred percent. You have to love yourself. Yeah. And show yourself kindness and grace. Yeah. Um, and part of what I think what it means to love yourself is to feed yourself nourishing foods yeah. and to, and to, and to, love your body enough to aspire for it to be healthier mm-hmm, and, more optimal. and more optimal. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that one thing that was also helpful for me was getting out of an environment with all of the triggers. So if I had a roommate that had food like that, or if I had bought it and put it in my kitchen, it would be harder for me to create that environment. So look, one of the first things that was helpful was removing those environments or making sure that I didn't have that food easily accessible for a period of time. And then yes, doing the deeper work to really love ourselves enough to start showing up and being compassionate wherever we are in the journey. Yeah. No, those are, those are great hacks. I mean, I definitely have, I get sent a lot of food products mm-hmm. at this point mm-hmm. just by, because of the nature of my work. And, um, and if left to my own devices, if I'm bored working from home one day and I go into my cupboards, I mean, there is a, a ton of trouble <laughs> waiting for me in my cupboards at this point. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm human just like anybody else. But I, one hack is to just, first of all, keep it out of the line of sight. Yeah. Um, just something as simple as that mm-hmm. can make the difference between picking up something that you're not necessarily even really hungry for. It's yeah. just one of these like boredom impulse decisions. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, I mean, for me, like, you know, when I go shopping to the, su- to the supermarket, which I do all the time because I love, I actually love grocery shopping. I know that if it's in my shopping cart, it's as good as in my stomach, you mm-hmm. know, and that f- if I bring something home like a bag of chips or a pint of ice cream, it's, these are foods that, are really, they're not designed to be consumed in moderation. Mm. When we have that experience, which I know everybody has, I have, when you go to the freezer and you take out the pint of ice cream intending only to have a spoonful and you end up, before you know it, looking at the bottom of the pint, we tend to think, oh my God, I failed. Mm. Like where, like how is my willpower so crappy that I couldn't control myself? But that's, you're literally, that's how you're, you've evolved. Your biology wants you to, Something that's so calorie dense would have been life-saving to one of our hunter-gatherer ancestors prior to the, you know, the 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 food scarcity issue being solved, which mm-hmm. we which we solved, and now we are, we're in a state of food abundance, obviously, all the time. Um, but yeah, keeping it out, you know, knowing what my trigger foods are, and then keeping them out of my house, I think it's a really good, a really good hack. Another another way, another thing that I've found to be helpful for me. This is one of like, I think the greatest biohacking technologies that anybody could have in their kitchen. It's a digital food scale. Mm. People with with unhealthy relationships with food, I don't know. It's 
I don't know if this is necessarily the right recommendation for them, but I found for me personally that um, being able to identify what a serving is mm. to me is very helpful. Mm. When you take out a bag of something or a pint of something that has four, five, six, eight servings in mm-hmm. it, it's, I like to know what an actual serving is. Yeah. And there's no better way to be able to identify that um, as clear as day on a digital food scale which is super helpful. Yeah. Volume is not as accurate. Mm-hmm. Volume can lie because foods are, you know, they're weight, they're packaged according to weight, not mm-hmm. volume. Mm-hmm. And so a really accurate digital food scale to me that weighs by the gram, mm-hmm. um, which is how we tend to label foods here in the United States. Yeah. They don't make it easy. Super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I get so much use out of this little $16 food scale. That's great. In my kitchen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even something like pasta, like I eat occasionally, you know, um, like these legume pastas are super great, right? Mm-hmm. But like a box has eight servings and you never know like how much is a serving, right? Uh-huh. I like to know that I'm eating a serving or two. Maybe I want two servings. Yeah. All good. Yeah. But how else would you know without weighing it out? Yeah. To me, it's just like so, it's like so intuitive. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up was this mind-body connection, right? Because when I was getting licensed as a somatic psychotherapist, I really started discovering how the body is the unconscious and that it can store trauma and memories. And oftentimes we're not even aware of it. And a fascinating story I'll share is that when I got my first master's degree, I went and traveled the world afterwards. I was like, I'm free and went to India. My GI got so messed up when I was in India. As soon as I got to Thailand, by the way, I'm going to share my own hack is grapefruit seed extract. If you ever go to a third world country and you want to make sure that you are eating, this is like, I don't know if it's a natural antibiotic. I'm not sure what it is, but GSE grapefruit seed extract. I have it with every meal and I no longer get parasites or sick. So that is a fun plug. Um, I just went to Bali and I had it with every single meal and I was totally fine. I've even had it in Bhutan working, eating with people from the floor and I'm very sensitive GI tract. I did not get sick. It's a pill. It's a pill. You don't take the liquid. It tastes disgusting, but GSE, anytime you travel every meal, easy. Yes. So I didn't know that when I first went to India and I, I, I mean, I got sick for like 10 years. My, it really messed up my GI. But as soon as I got to Thailand, I was like, I'm booking myself in a cleanse. And it had two colonics a day. And I was doing a lot of mindfulness and uh, meditation at the time. So when I was getting the colonic done, maybe too much information, but when I was getting the colonic done, I was just present with what my experience, I was using it as a meditation. And I would have vivid memories and like scents and boyfriends and like foods that I was eating at different periods of my life. The only reason why I figured this out was because Jack in a Box came up in my awareness. I haven't eaten Jack in a Box since I was in high school. And this, a boyfriend that I was dating at the same time came up in my awareness at the same time. I discovered that I was literally detoxing different times of my life as it was going through my GI tract at in sequential order, literally clearing out my past. And not too long afterwards, I ended up finding my husband Emilio and getting together. So who knows the the connection, but I do know that I was literally going through my GI. And I know you talk a lot about gut health and what we eat and how that affects our cognitive health. I know it's a different angle, but I'm fascinated with gut health. And I think that this is really so powerful for more that we're gonna discover in terms of optimal health. Can you share a little bit about cognitive health and gut health and the correlation with nutrition? Yeah. Wow, it's so funny you're asking because I was just I was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal today and I, they asked me the same question mm. about gut health. 
um, and how it relates to brain health. So the gut is basically, I mean, much has been made of the gut microbiome, which is like the universe of microorganisms that lives primarily in our large intestine, the colon. Mm -hmm. But um, we are very much at the very, very, very tip of the iceberg in terms of understanding the the full role that it plays in our health, let alone brain health. And so much has been made online. There's a lot of people, you know, making suggestions and recommendations about how to, you know, optimize gut health, optimize the microbiome. We don't know what a perfect microbiome looks like. Mm -hmm. I mean, we kind of have a sense. We think we know that it's generally a diverse array of species. A lot of alpha diversity is what it's called. Um, But we don't know. We don't know. I mean, we think we know, but we're, we really, we're, we're barely scratching the surface, but you know, People that tend to live a long time, they tend to eat a diverse array of plant fibers, which we know fiber helps to fortify mm-hmm. gut um, microbiota because it's fiber is essentially a form of carbohydrate that passes through our small intestine, mm-hmm. which is at the top of the GI tract after the stomach, which is where we absorb the nutrients, right, that we need to survive mm-hmm. and thrive. And then those fibers end up in the large intestine where they get fermented by gut bacteria. Now, there are a number of different avenues by which microbiota in our guts can influence brain health. Um, One way, one major way is that our immune systems are primed to really focus on what's going on in the gut. Mm -hmm. And this is because our gut is our largest interface with the environment. Mm -hmm. We might think it's our skin because our skin is on the outside, right? It's uh, an external barrier. But actually, if you were to take out your elementary canal, which starts at your mouth and ends at your butt, and spread it out like over the floor somehow, it would take up the square footage of a small studio apartment. So it's a massive interface. And what you eat is not yet a part of you. It's still what's in your gut lumen is still considered a part of your environment. Mm -hmm. And so it's a a massive point of entry, right, Mm -hmm. for pathogens potentially. Mm -hmm. And so your immune system is like hyper-focused. 80% of your immune system um, is, is poised to focus on what's going on in your gut. And your immune system is what's responsible for the phenomena that we call inflammation. Mm -hmm. And so it can modulate in no small way systemic inflammation. So if you have, you know, a a disturbance in your gut, I mean, that could theoretically, that could create an inflammatory effect in your body that can affect brain function. Yeah. Um, You know, the brain is, is always tapped into what's going on down below. And in fact, when animals are under inflammatory duress they exhibit what are called sickness behaviors so they you know they retreat from the herd they their grooming declines their appetite declines they don't you know they're not as interested in reproduction Mm. um and so these are actually behaviors in an animal that in a human look a lot like depression Mm. and so that's sort of like one axis another axis is that or another another way that the gut can influence the brain is that you know, a lot of these compounds that we eat in, in plants, whether we're talking fibers or um, various phytochemicals like polyphenols, they get essentially consumed by microorganisms, which spit out essentially or poop out, if you want to think of it that way, um, what are called postbiotic compounds, mm. um, short chain fatty acids, other, com- I mean, there are innumerable compounds, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you can't even, to name one would be futile. Um, because we essentially are carrying around with us at any given time this like drug factory in our in our mm-hmm. large intestine, and so those postbiotic chemicals actually can enter circulation quite easily and affect oh, the brain with like leaky gut. 
not just leaky gut, but we absorb, I mean, we absorb mm-hmm. water in the large intestine mm-hmm. and other compounds that are secreted by these microorganisms, short chain fatty acids like butyrate. Okay. So this isn't even leaky gut. This is just like, this is how we've Normal. evolved, right? Uh-huh. We have this, this fact, they're essentially paying rent. So, you know, I mean, they, they live there, right? <laughs> so they return the favor okay. by way of some of these really interesting postbiotic compounds mm. like butyrate, which is this anti-inflammatory short chain fatty acid. It's associated with lower levels of inflammation, boosting levels of BDNF, which is this sort of mir- miracle grow protein in the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so there's all these different like kind of entry points, but we're now starting to see that like it's in, in us, a small handful of clinical trials, various probiotics are yeah. able to um, influence cognitive function, mental states like mood and things like that. Um, it's now being thought that Parkinson's disease may begin in the gut, you know, via some microbial um, interaction that then is able to tra- travel up the vagus nerve to the brain. Mm. Um, and again, you know, we don't, there's, there are no like mm-hmm. real concrete answers here, but because mm-hmm. um, it's still just, it's so early for this kind of research. But what we do think we know so far about how to support gut health is to eat a diverse array of plant fibers. And everybody's fiber needs are going to be different to, you know, opt for organic if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a huge deal, but organic is, you know, some of these um, herbicides that they use can disrupt uh, various um, aspects of like these, you know, the microbial ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, but having like lots of color on your plate, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, color is important, not necessarily from the standpoint of like gut microbes, but just because colors in produce are usually there due to the presence of compounds like like carotenoids, which have a a different effect. Like they actually like can boost brain function and help support healthy like neuronal cell membranes, Mm -hmm. like um, two in particular, lutein and zeaxanthin are, we we know are really good for... um, carotenoids that are really good for eye health. They can help prevent age-related macular degeneration. Right. And we're now starting to see that those same compounds accumulate in the brain mm. and can protect against oxidative stress and boost neural efficiency and things like that. Another plant pigment um, or, or category of pigments called uh, um, anthocyanins also mm. have been shown to be really supportive of memory function. Mm-hmm. And those are the blue pigments that you see in blueberries, red oh. onions, and things like that. Okay. Yeah, so that's kind of like why Eat the Rainbow is such a great yeah. like little heuristic, you know? Yeah. There's all the different colors are are there due to some interesting, you know, plant compound that, you know, most of which we expect to to have a benefit on mm-hmm. human health. Kind of take the best of all of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, dietary diversity, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just super, I think, important. Mm-hmm. The more you expose yourself to different plant compounds and you know, it's like the more resilient you become, the more the more resilient your your gut microbiome becomes. Yeah. That's kind of the thinking there. Yeah. As well, as well. So what what you were saying, what we do know about gut and taking care of your gut is what yeah. else? You generally want to eat a diverse array of plant fibers. Mm-hmm. Um, the artificial sweetener thing is a little bit unclear. Uh, you know, artificial sweeteners in general are not good for the gut microbiome, but we know we, the, the reason why we think we believe this to be true is due to animal studies where they use massive doses of these compounds. So Mm -hmm. I think a little bit here and there, probably okay. Mm -hmm. I personally avoid artificial sweeteners. 
I had, when I went to India, I had candida and I didn't know it. And I was just walking around with a stevia bottle. And I think that messed up my hormones. I don't know that to be a complete scientific fact, but I was eating stevia with everything because I was trying to not have sugar, which would feed the candida. And it was a, it was a mess, but yeah. It, it really did make bigger impacts on my health than I was aware of. Yeah. I mean, there's very little, re- there's actually probably more research on artificial sweeteners to be fair than on stevia, just because there's more money, mm-hmm. you know, to research the artificial sweeteners, which have been adopted by soda companies and, and the junk food industry at large. But, um, but generally I think it's probably smart to avoid artificial sweeteners um, to avoid uh, synthetic emulsifiers that can strip the gut of its um, mucosal lining, which we know is really important. Um, you know, there's probably some benefit of intermittent fasting to the, to the gut microbiota. Mm-hmm. Um, when we are, when we don't eat essentially overnight, and I think for about four hours, even if we do so in the middle of the day, um, something called the migrating motor complex becomes active, which helps to sweep the small intestine oh, interesting. of debris and bacteria. So it can help. I mean, it's one of the mechanisms that our, our bodies um, will utilize to prevent uh, SIBO, like small intestinal mm-hmm. bacterial overgrowth. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to give your digestion a break. Yeah. Yeah. Exercise has been shown to support in, independently the gut microbiome. Do we know any like 30 minutes or any type of feedback about no, okay. it can't really make a recommendation. Yeah. But I mean, just, you know. Move eat, your body. <laughs> move your body. Yeah. Fermented foods yeah. also. Okay. Um, fermented foods uh, are super important. Like, um, and, you know, chocolate's a fermented food. Dark chocolate? Dark chocolate. Yes. Yeah. Um, Say more about dark chocolate and the benefits. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear it personally. Well, fermented people have this idea that fermented foods are probiotic, but they're not necessarily. You can have a fermented food that's not, that doesn't contain probiotics. Mm. Um, but all probiotic containing foods are fermented mm-hmm. generally. Do you try, do you take probiotics or do you try to get it from your food or both? I don't take probiotics okay. unless for a very specific purpose. Interesting. Yeah. Cause so, I know there's so many types of probiotics. So, yeah. you know, I know to change it up. Yeah. There's, there are some interesting strains. Some strains have been studied and been shown to help support like mood you yeah. know, and to help reduce anxiety. Mm-hmm. So when I'm feeling anxious, I might acutely dose myself with like one of those strains Interesting. off the top of my head. I can't remember, but I work with a company called just thrive that makes like this, like really interesting. They've taken this strain that's been studied. There's clinical research on it and they've isolated it, packaged it with a bunch of other, you know, like brain related nutraceuticals, vitamin B12 and the like. And so I remember like I had a big podcast interview that I was going to do and I was like a little anxious about it. And so I started taking some of those and I, th- I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to tell, Yeah. but um, maybe, maybe it helped, but on a regular basis, I don't take mm. anything like that, but I do try to eat fermented foods whenever I can. Yeah. Kimchi. I'm a huge fan of. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And I, I know we have a mutual best friend. That's a couple, Sarah and Craig, and yeah. we've been on, I don't know, over like 10 vacations together or so at this point. And I always see you, you've got your routine dialed in <laughs> like both travel and I know you're super busy. So I would love to hear your daily or weekly routine just to stay optimal and healthy. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely a creature of habit. Um, 
I like to wake up. I don't have like some crazy morning routine yeah. where I'm doing 1,500 <laughs> things. I think that's a big problem in the wellness world. I've heard it described as holistic derangement syndrome. Mm. I wake up and I try to expose my eyes to my big open window, you mm -hmm. know, or not necessarily open through glass. It's mm -hmm. fine. But just to basically get that bright morning ambient light into my eyes. Mm -hmm. That to me is kind of a non-negotiable. Um, but you don't have to stand in front of the window for 30 minutes. I mean, it's just like, you know, for a few seconds, I see the benefit yeah. just from, you know, going about my, you know, making my bed with the, with the blinds up mm -hmm. is enough to, I feel like activate my brain. Mm -hmm. I go downstairs, I drink some water. Sometimes I put, I'll put various things in my water, but it's none of these are non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. Like, um, occasionally I'll put in a few drops of iodine, maybe some chlorophyll cause I enjoy it. Trace minerals, some sea salt, um, you know, I think that in, it helps to hydrate me and, and, and I feel good as a result. And then right after that, I'm drinking coffee. Just like generally, you know, some, most days I'll do black cold brew. Um, these days, some days I'll add some heavy cream to it. But, uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. And then I eat something about an hour after I wake up. Lately, I've been enjoying morning workouts. And to fuel my workouts, I'm, my first meal of the day is going to be a big bolus of carbohydrate of of protein and carbs because i'm going to the work going to the gym right after mm -hmm. that and so a lot of people are afraid of carbohydrates and i think carbs are an amazing fuel to yeah. propel you through a vigorous workout mm -hmm. and um and i've been really leaning on them and i've seen incredible gains i mean i've had a i probably have had a bias for low carb um i've had kind of like a low carb bias for for quite some time and i probably even still eat way fewer carbohydrates than your average American. But, um, but it's really dawned on me, especially over the past two years that they're an almost indispensable exercise fuel, like a, a performance enhancing tool mm -hmm. that should be utilized. Mm -hmm. And so I eat protein, I'm getting my carbohydrates. Um, you go to the gym, I go to the gym. Yeah. I hit the weights like really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, lifting really intensely, I think it's really important for um, for guys and girls, but uh, particularly girls is a message that I think is really important for women to to lift heavy. You know, like um, why? Because it's what sends your muscles the stimulus to grow. Mm. And women, it's like I think this is starting to change, but women are afraid of like getting bulky. Yeah, it's. That's, I mean, you have to like work out for a lifetime and have the mm -hmm. testosterone of a man to get bulky. It's <laughs> yeah. just not going to, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Right. It's a consistent, you know, heavyweights. Yeah. yeah. Reps. But the gym that I go to women show up wearing makeup and it's like for their first set to their last set, they've got their cute faces on. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, when I'm lifting, <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe during my warm up set, I've, I've got my composure, but by the end I'm like, I've slowed down. I'm like, you know, yeah. making all kinds of fit. And that's what it should look like to okay. lift weights. Because okay. otherwise you're, I've heard it described, I had Stan Efferding on my podcast, who's who's the world's strongest bodybuilder. No big deal. He's like a bodybuilder okay. who also happens to be like this record holding powerlifter. And he made this interesting distinction between exercise and training, mm -hmm. which is an interesting way to think about it. If you're, if you're just, you know, trying to move your body and lift weights, you're, yeah, you're exercising, right? Mm -hmm. But you're not really sending any kind of meaningful stimulus to your body to mm -hmm. adapt. Mm -hmm. you're just like maybe moving your body, you know, like uh, 
moving some lymph fluid around. But if you're not, if you're not, it's called progressive overload. If you're not progressively overloading your body, yeah, you're not gonna see a, you're not gonna see a difference. Yeah, you know, and you gotta change it up anyway, like right? If you want your butt to grow, yeah, and you're doing squats, but you're not like really intensely like, like getting to the point of like almost like failure at least on the last set, mm-hmm. then yeah, I mean, you're, you're leaving a lot on the table. You're okay. leaving a lot of money on the table. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I challenge people to try this, to yeah. test it out for themselves and see. Lift freaking heavy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the rep range is flexible. Like now we know that you can, that, that, that um, the hypertrophic, meaning like muscular, the, mu- the muscle growing anabolic stimulus occurs over a pretty wide rep range, low reps, high reps, but provided you go to, you train with intensity, mm-hmm. like to failure. It mm-hmm. doesn't, every set doesn't have to be to failure. Okay. But it should be within one or two or three reps. Okay. So heavy lifting, yeah. gym. Heavy lifting, gym. What else? Afterwards, generally I'm trying to eat uh, another big, you know, big protein bolus. I'm trying to get about 180 grams of protein a day. I probably, you know, could get by with a little bit less than that. What is the, because of your weight ratio? Yeah. Okay. You generally want... grams per, assuming you're weight training, 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. Okay. In pounds, that's about 0.7 to 0.8 grams per pound. Mm -hmm. So I'm about 180 pounds. So I should be getting, you know, 150, 160 grams of protein every day. Mm -hmm. Um, That's basically what I I aim for. I end up usually coming in a little bit higher than that. Um, But if you do that math for yourself and you figure it out. Say you need 150 grams of protein a day and you enjoy eating three times a day, Mm -hmm. then you've got to be getting 50 grams of protein at each meal. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, well, you could do less. You can do 30, but then, you know, have two snacks, two Mm -hmm. high protein snacks, you know, in between. Yeah. But hitting that that protein threshold is, it's important. It's not quite... As important as doing the exercise itself. Yeah. But if you're putting in the effort in the gym, you should be, you know, like the protein is going to help you optimize mm-hmm. the recovery, the, um, yeah, the, the gains that yeah. you see as a result. Yeah. Exercise is so helpful, right? And, and I saw something on your Instagram about exercise. What was that? Yeah. This thing went viral. I posted it yesterday that they found observational studies. So correlation doesn't equal causation, but like, they two it was just two minutes of exercise a day was enough to reduce cancer risk risk for total for all cancers by 20 percent. that's incredible so yeah. just like even a walk just like moving your body just moving your body yeah, yeah. well and conser- and deliberate exercise mm-hmm. so vigorous exercise okay. is what this study found so you have to like be making an effort to to exercise and well, we all have two minutes a day <laughs> we all have two minutes a day yeah i mean i don't want people to get lazy and think all they should yeah. be doing is two minutes a day but because there was a dose effect the more they exercise the, oh. the lower the risk interesting um and that study fits within the you know the broader body of evidence which like exercise is just i mean it is the number one mm-hmm. um age defying longevity promoting yeah. intervention that we can all pretty much do yeah don't use it you lose it exactly yeah Yeah. okay so i hear in terms of like food though we went to breakfast what about lunch dinner i I understand like the protein but what are some i just when we were traveling we went to um one of our trips and you had like beef jerky and just practical things that people can have i'm always like do i take a hard-boiled egg like what are some practical things that even when you're just out and busy that you can stay healthy without going to 
the, uh, you know, just like yeah, the 7-Eleven, the vending machine 7-Eleven. Yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely, I love to travel with snacks. I'm always bringing beef jerky with me. Yeah. Um, I try to find the lowest sugar beef jerky I can. Biltong is a great option. Mm. Um, it's a South American form of beef jerky. There's usually no sugar added. Mm-hmm. Um, did I say South American? South African. Yeah. And, uh, Whole fruit, I'm a huge fan of whole yeah. fruit. It's very satiating. It's self-limiting. I avoid dried fruit, but whole fruit is incredible. Okay, yeah, because of the sugar with dried fruit. Yeah, it's just like it's dehydrated, so yeah. it's it's not as satiating. Mm-hmm. So you lose some of that satiety effect, and it's just concentrated sugar. So it's like mm-hmm. it's less satiating. It's more palatable because of the concentration of the sugar. So it really is, it's it's a pretty, it's a food that you generally want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um or at least eat in strict moderation. You know, if you're if you're trying to watch your weight, I mean, it's like really easy to overeat yeah. dried fruit. There's a lot of really healthy, quote unquote, healthy foods that can promote weight gain if you're not careful. I mean, mm-hmm. like nuts are an incredibly healthy food. Mm-hmm. And they're actually a lot less, um, quote unquote, fattening than I think most people would expect them to be. They're not that satiating for me. I feel like I can eat so right. many almonds and I'm not full. Yeah. It's very interesting. Whereas an avocado, I feel much more full. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean nuts are nuts are an interesting category of foods. They're they're not as fattening as you would think based on their calorie count mm-hmm. and the newer research is actually showing us that about 30% of the calories in nuts we don't even absorb because mm. of the whole food matrix they just pass through. Oh wow. Us. Yeah. Interesting. So nuts are nuts are a great food but they're still a very calorie dense food and they're very especially when you add salt to them mm. very hard to to moderate uh-huh. yeah. you know, your consumption of them. So those are those are another food that I really like to like weigh out or buy in single serving packs. Yeah. Because it increases the friction where I can I'll happily eat one serving, mm-hmm. but it's like it, there's a barrier for me to go and eat two. Yeah. Yeah. And also just sprouted almonds or things like that. So it's not so hard on your digestion and breaking it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People people tend to respond well to sprouting. So for people that are like hearing all of this, they're inspired. What are some practical things that they can do to get started on their health journey or to take the next step to optimize? What do you recommend where they start? I think number one would be to try to um, upgrade the food quality in your life. So to avoid the ultra processed foods. So these are the foods that typically line our supermarket aisles. Mm Mm-hmm. And to reach more for single ingredient foods. So mm-hmm. beef, fish, chicken, eggs, mm-hmm. nuts and seeds, dark leafy greens, whole fruit, things like that. And to learn to cook. Cooking at home is like one of the greatest things that you could do. <laughs> I don't cook you at don't all. Cook at all? Every, I, I make my breakfast. I order everything. That's okay. I, I pretty much, I order out, but it's clean. It's healthy. Yeah. But yeah, I... I yeah. And I think just micro, like micro changes. It's like, okay, if I have processed foods, maybe one day you, they can get started on something that's less. 20 rule. Yeah. yeah. But also you don't, to cook at home, you don't have to be a Michelin starred chef. Like yeah. I think it's really, as long as you know how to grill a piece of like chicken breast, I think that that goes a long way. Most restaurant food is coated in phantom fats mm. and those calories add up real quick. Mm. I eat out a fair amount. Um, and I'm not even talking fancy restaurants. I, yep. I I love fast casual. I'm a big fast casual guy. But just eating home more during that four-month period when I was on my cut, I saw fat come off almost effortlessly. And it was a real testament to just the f- excess phantom calories that you get with any restaurant meal. Interesting. You take any meal that you eat at a restaurant and you try to emulate that at home, mm-hmm. it's going to be 
way lower calorie typically. Mm, good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there, so that I start with that, like v- bias yourself more towards minimally processed whole foods mm-hmm. and then start to look at like the protein, where are you getting your protein from and try to incrementally increase that. Because mm-hmm. what we see in the medical literature is that as you incrementally bump up a person's protein intake, they tend to eat less of everything else. Mm. And so even just an incremental increase in one's protein intake. So that'll naturally happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's called the protein leverage hypothesis. Mm-hmm. So it's basically we leverage our food environment to get the amino acids that our bodies require yeah. to support good health. And so you can actually reverse engineer this by prioritizing protein, which I say all the time, but like, what does that look like? Make protein the star of every meal and every snack. Like don't even, you know, I mean, snack on whole fruits, vegetables and things like that. Those are all wonderful. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I mean, if you're hungry, the hard boiled egg or the Greek yogurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love yogurt. Or a protein shake. Yeah. Um, or cold cuts, right? Mm-hmm. Like these are all great ways to to really put the brakes on on hunger in a, in a, in a powerful way. Conversely, foods like granola bars, you yeah. know, things like that, they actually increase hunger. You know, I, back in the day when I was broke, I was living off of uh, power bars. And I noticed that I had so, I had such a gut because whatever, it was just not processed and I felt my health wasn't good, but literally I was living off of protein bars and that created a lot of belly fat, foggy brain. It, and I thought it was, I thought I was doing something healthy and cheap and yeah, wasn't I mean, ideal. The occasional protein bars is, is okay, but these foods are really calorie dense. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about processed foods is that you with with unprocessed foods like what we talked about with nuts before mm-hmm. you're not even fully absorbing mm-hmm. them because mm-hmm. of the whole food matrix the mm-hmm. whole food matrix has there's an inherent anti-obesity effect of just eating whole foods mm-hmm. um but with a processed food with like an ultra processed food you are absorbing 100 percent of those calories oh yeah yeah it's like i mean Think about nuts, right? When you chew nuts, they've done these studies where they'll give patients nuts essentially to chew. And just before they swallow them, the scientists have them spit out the bolus, right? And they look at the particles and they're able to ascertain that in the typical transit time that it takes those nuts to pass through the small intestine that you wouldn't be able to absorb 30% on average of the calories from from that bolus. They also do studies where they look at um, patients that have like ileostomies where they have like, you know, these stoma bags and they take out the nut mm. particles and they see that, uh, that 30%, roughly 30% of the calories are undigested. But if you feed somebody, and that's with whole nuts, if you mm. feed somebody these commercially ground nut butters, they're absorbing hundred percent of the calories. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Good yeah. to know. Yeah. So it's like the whole food. So you want to opt for whole foods as yeah. much as you can. Yeah. This applies to nuts. This applies to I mean, maybe there's even a benefit of eating a steak versus a burger. I mean, I happen to love burgers and you yeah. know, ground beef. I eat it all the time, but you cleaner, know, we don't, less we don't processed. Know. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, the chewing, right? Like mm-hmm. the chewing of the steak um, in a way that you don't necessarily do with a burger. Same like with a green steak. drink. If yeah, it, maybe it stimulates stomach acid to a greater degree, mm-hmm. and there's some some physiologic benefit of doing that. We don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like our tools are so meager and. Yeah. And we are so complex and 
you know, we've co-evolved with food o- over millennia and we think that we have all the answers. <laughs> Um, so the more you can, the more you can bias your diet towards minimally processed foods, whole foods, um, and with a, with a preference for protein, Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, those are the big, big fish. Thank you for doing your work to become educated, not only for yourself, but for your mom and for sharing that in the world and just having this hunger of curiosity to really dive into the research and find out what helps people live optimally. It's so beautiful to drop in in this way. I know we've been friends for a while, but actually yeah. to like feel your your body of work and just to educate people so they can make more informed choices. And I know that people are going to want to hear and stay connected to you. And I just want to share and make sure that people know where to go so that they can learn more from you and stay connected. Where should they go? Oh my God, you're so sweet. Um, so I'm pretty active on Instagram at Max Lugavir, M-A-X-L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E. I host a podcast called The Genius Life. I've got books out. Um, my first book, Genius Foods, is a nutritional care manual for the brain. So if you're interested in nutrition, the brain, dementia prevention, it's a great, great place to start. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thanks, Max. Thanks Thank for what you. you're doing in the world. Thank mm. you so much. Mm. Thank you so much for doing this work that changes the world, starting with yourself. It truly does make a difference. And if you're finding value in this podcast, a cost-free way to support us is by leaving an up to five-star review. It does mean the world to us. And as a thank you gift, we're going to send you one of the most powerful tools that you will ever discover. You're going to get behind-the-scenes access showing you how to live into your full potential without letting fear hold you back from stepping into your dreams. Just head over to Apple Podcast or Spotify and leave a review now. You can take a screenshot before hitting submit and then go to alissanobriga.com forward slash podcast to upload it. And make sure to have your automatic downloads turned on wherever you listen so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. I have so much magic I can't wait to share with you. And you can find all this information in the show notes below. But lastly, if you're on Instagram, I love connecting and hearing from you. So come on over and say hello. I'm at alissanobriga. Thank you again for being here. I cannot wait to share more with you.